When most people hear the name Kim, they think of Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. But in North Korea, long before Kim Kardashian broke the internet, three Kims succeeded in breaking everything else, including the internet. <laughs> This is the story of a dynastic crime family with mysterious origins, bizarre lives, and the launch codes for a vast nuclear arsenal. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Blind history. We're coming to the end of season two. I'm kind of sad about that because I've enjoyed some of these people. But we've decided for the last two episodes to focus on truly horrendous people. But we've batched them together. So we're going to do an episode on the Kims, which are the three, the grandfather, the father, and the son, who've ruled North Korea since 1948. And our last episode will keep a surprise for now. These guys were insane and continue to be insane. They're probably very comparable to some of the worst leaders in history. And the amazing thing is that they're all like within living memory. And they're going strong still. That's the scary thing. And it's the, the, the level of nuttiness is not, hasn't dropped off. Well, these guys are properly lunatic. I mean, the first one was Kim Il-sung. They call him the great leader. Then his son took over in 1994. He's called the dear leader. And then his son took over in 2011, and he's called the dear respected Sort of, and by the way, Kim Il Sung, the grandfather, is still the president yes. of the country, even yeah. though he's dead. Eternal. <laughs> so, as Christopher Hitchens, my favorite author, puts it, you could call North Korea a a thanatocracy or a mausolocracy. I've <laughs> been ruled by the dead. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone raises their heads above the parapets, these three have been very quick to. Have them killed. Yeah. And sometimes in pretty barbarous ways. And also by proxy, which is the scariest thing of all. So that so not only will that particular person get killed, but his whole family or yeah, her whole family. That's right. They, they make sure there's no stone yeah, unturned. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's why nobody's done anything. It's so scary. I mean, they're too scared to look up. Well, shall we start at the beginning with Kim Il-sung? Um, he is premier president still. Came to power after the end of Japanese rule over the Koreas. That was in 1945. And he then launched an invasion of South Korea in 1950, which became the Korean War, because, of course, the North Koreans were supported by the Soviets. South Korea, which was very much a jumbled up, messed up country at that stage, was supported by the UN, who then declared war on North Korea, and the US took the lead in that war. Obviously, the Korean War was not a great success because it led to a military stalemate which um, became a ceasefire in 1953. They established no man's land along that parallel, mm. which is still no man's land. The few brave creatures that have crawled across it have been shot, yeah. <laughs> ultimately. No one's made it across. And it's become a bit of a nature reserve. Like Nature has regenerated there in interesting ways because no humans can go there. There are interesting trees and birds and animals that have lived there and very undisturbed for the last 50 or 60 years. But if we look at Kim Il-sung, he, he 
probably did the most from a freedom fighter perspective. I mean, yeah. the dad, his son, and then the, his grandson, from a useless. military perspective, they were useless. But he was a freedom fighter because there was Japan imperialism, mm-hmm. and they had to deal with that, and they hated it, and he hated it. Yeah. And then um, they started catching on to him, so that's where he went to the Soviet Union. And learned all the tricks and then started getting involved with Marxism and Leninism yeah. and then Stalin was around. And so actually from that side, he had strong beliefs originally. Yeah, he was definitely an ideologue and he was definitely someone who believed in implementing stuff even if people didn't want it. Yeah. I mean, he established communism, publicly owned and a public economy which was planned. It was essentially a form of totalitarianism. They shut themselves off from the rest of the world. It didn't matter what was going on anywhere else. North Koreans have never seen American television. They've never seen a movie. They've never read a newspaper from outside of there. The people of North Korea believe everything that they're told by their government. Yeah, that's correct. And everything that they have, they're given by the government. And everything that they used to have has been taken away by that government. So they don't know anything else. It's and hermetically sealed off from the world. It's such a poor country. It's actually very sad. People are dying of starvation <clears throat> while the Kims are skiing down some man-made slopes that they've made. It's horrendous what they're doing there. So the grandfather, as you said, you know, the ever-victorious Generalissimo, <laughs> as, as he was also called, <laughs> uh, he actually got impatient. He wanted the whole peninsula. Yeah, that's right. And so he got impatient and... He kept pestering Stalin, and Stalin was actually saying, don't be, just be patient, be patient, and he was getting frustrated. I mean, imagine Stalin telling you to be patient. Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, tempered, and ultimately, in the end, that's what he wanted. But the United States didn't come out of that looking great because they were getting knocked around by the North Koreans and the Soviets, and then they brought that napalm out. They killed millions of North Koreans. It was just Brutal. Well, there's a museum in Pyongyang about the evils and the the cruelty of the American soldiers. And it's a museum which basically houses some of the horrible and terrible things that, that America did in mm. photographs and movie and all the rest of it. And they've got like the one plane that the North Koreans managed to capture. And they've got that proudly on display as well. But the whole place is just very weird. For a little while in the 1960s. North Koreans did have a better quality of life than South Koreans. It was mostly because South Korea was very disorganized. It was in constant economic crisis. And the plans that had been put into place were starting to bear fruit for Kim Il-sung. But, of course, that all reversed in the 1970s when the Japanese and the U.S. started making investments in South Korea. They had military aid. They had economic stability and development. And from there on, it really got very ugly Mm. for the North Koreans. And as you say, there was starvation. People were um, eating their pets. People were having babies and eating them. I mean, it was not a pretty sight at all. And their assistance from the USSR dried up in the 1990s when that collapsed. And there was a big famine in 94, which was the start of of decline there. And and it was really where they separated out from the world completely Mm. and became this bizarre isolationist state that nobody could really understand. I think at that time, um, Kim Il-sung was sick and he was on his last legs. Well, I think he sick. actually died. I mean, the guy had a, he had a big baseball-sized tumor on the yeah, back of his neck. True. It was what they called a, what a calcium deposit growth. Yeah. And for photographers... But nobody there knew about it. No, because <laughs> photographers had this really tough job of having to take pictures of him only from the side where you wouldn't see this big ball on the back of his head. So there are 
I think there are two or three pictures that managed to make it through that were taken by international press people where you could see this massive ugly sure. growth on the guy's head. But the rest, they had to get up on ladders. They had to stand <laughs> this far away. They had to wait till he faced that way, and then they could take it from here. It was a disaster for this guy. Um, and, of course, that wasn't the thing that killed him. He eventually, I think, he had a heart attack. Yes, I think they both had a heart attack. The son had one in a fit of rage. He was the guy who developed, you know, all of this ugly Stalinist purge stuff. They were just redistribute land, they'd nationalize healthcare, there was tax collection that involved violence and beatings and imprisonment. They had a, a system called the Songbun system, which took intellectuals, landowners, and pro-Japanese people and made them go into the most horrible, barren northern wastes of North Korea. And then when obviously famine hit, those people would die first. And then they'd kidnap intellects. Yes. Scientists. They'd kidnap them from Japan teachers, or from wherever. South Korea yes. or from China or wherever they could to get. To raise the level and to do a job. Right. Um, <laughs> it was hectic. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> so when Kim Il-sung died, they started this 10 days of mourning. Hundreds of thousands of people came for the funeral. Because uh, they had to. Yeah. Of course. Listen. You don't argue with these guys. He'll be dead. They put him in a glass coffin in a mausoleum. And when you land in North Korea now as a foreign visitor, you have to go there first to pay your respects. He's still there in his glass coffin. Yeah, they did the same with the son. So he also supposedly is the guy who wrote thousands of operas and many plays, although who really knows whether he wrote any of them. Apparently all the books in the school were written by him. He was so talented, this guy. I mean, really. And his son took over in '94. The dear leader. Now, this guy is probably a little more insane because he didn't have any real-life experience. He grew up in this bizarre world that his father had created. But he had the fourth largest standing army on earth when he took over, which is quite scary if you consider that after America, China, and the then USSR or Soviet Russia. And then North Korea. Then North Korea. Yeah. I mean, they could have done some serious damage if they wanted to. Just going back to Kim Il-sung and the birth of his son. Oh, Mount Piktu is the place where the supposedly um, legend has it that all the Koreans have come from, the North Koreans have come from. And this is where the leader, what do you call it? What do we call him? Um, the dear leader. The yeah. dear leader. He was born. He was born there. Supposedly, he was born there. At the moment of his birth, a new star formed and illuminated the sky. The season suddenly changed from winter to spring. And a double rainbow appeared over the mountain. Beautiful and Soviet records paint a far more boring picture, though, that he seems to have been born in 41 in the Siberian village of Vyatskoye, which is not nearly as exciting. Yeah, and his name was Uri. They, can, <laughs> they called him Uri. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not as no, grand. No, it's not as okay. grand. And, he, and as he grew up, he was this fantastic ladies' man. Oh, a and, fashion icon, first of all. Yeah. His fashion took the world by storm, apparently, according to the official North Korean records. The rest of the world knows that he was the greatest fashion icon of all time. He was inspired by Elvis in the 70s with those big glasses and the, you know, the sort of body suits and that kind of thing, which he obviously wore. And the, and the poofy hair was an Elvis thing because he was obsessed with Elvis. He had something like all of Elvis's movies, 20,000 copies of his albums. He collected Elvis memorabilia. And then he had... This massive predilection for movies. He was a big movie fan. You yeah, know about yeah, this. Yeah. Do you know who his favorite um, actor and actress were? I think Jean-Claude Van Damme was his son. 
Well, that's what he said, yeah. Uh, okay. But, but Elizabeth Taylor and Sean Connery okay. were his favorite male and female actors. Really? Loved the James Bond movies. Loved Friday the 13th, Rambo, and Godzilla. Yes, and they made their movies. own version of Godzilla. Oh. The most prominent power couple. She was an actor. He was a producer in South Korea. Right. Famous. Even actually in Japan, they were famous. Okay. And um, flying, flying high, perfect marriage, children. Then they fell on a little bit of hard times. They subsequently got divorced. She was, for some strange reason, summoned down to Hong Kong and then disappeared. So the ex-husband was distraught. He went down and he also disappeared. Hmm. And where did that pop up? North Korea, best North Korea. Korea. Exactly. <laughs> and they helped make the, the, the North Korean version of Godzilla. He invented the hamburger. Did you know yes, about that? I heard, yes. Yeah, heard according that. to a newspaper in North Korea, so it's totally trustworthy, mm. the leader invented a brand new sandwich <laughs> and called it double bread with meat. But that was obviously taken by the rest of the world and renamed the hamburger. Of course. But he developed yeah. it. He was a master golfer. Yeah, I heard Do you about know this? that. According to his biography, official biography, he first picked up a golf club in 1994. He shot a 38-under par round that included no fewer than 11, 11 holes in one. Yes, that's amazing. And, you know, he's got the, the, the resilience, the strength of character not to go and compete on the tour. Sure, of course. he would have beaten everybody. I mean, he would have won every open. Do you know that he never used a toilet? He didn't defecate or no. urinate? That's exactly right. Yeah. He didn't need to. And he could control the weather too. But there was obviously one or two things that were leaked. And apparently, he only started talking quite late as a oh, child. Oh. And he would lose his temper in school. And then he would have these long sulks. Hmm. And he didn't integrate very well with, with the other kids at school. So that's what the people on the outside said. But obviously, you can't believe that. No, because we must believe the North Koreans. Exactly. They're the only ones who know. Yeah. He had a big fear of flying. And he used to travel around in an armored train. Um Apparently once on this armored train, because money was no object, he had live lobsters airlifted onto the train while it was moving, and he would eat them with silver chopsticks. This is according to his own bodyguards. Yes. So tell me about Kim Jong-il and his brother. What happened was they were swimming in a little lake, and the parents were on the beach, and uh, they were young. He was six years old, and the brother was four, and he sort of throttling his brother and he pushed him under the water then the brother tried to come up for air and pushed him down and he kept him down kept him down and then the parents saw and they ran to see what was happening and they couldn't resuscitate him he killed him so he at a young age he killed six his years old and he had a smirk on his face well that's yeah. how good dictators start yeah right? i mean he I, I must have made his father very proud powerful exactly <laughs> so that was an auspicious start for our friend he also wanted doctors to make him live forever. He said, I want to live to 120. Okay. And so he got doctors. That was a full-time job for them. They introduced a whole lot of different medicines and plants and all the things to improve his age. But they were working against somebody that loved to smoke and drink heavily. Mm. And so <laughs> they were – and then he died quite, you know, reasonably young. Yeah. So they were put in a concentration camp because they obviously didn't achieve what they had to achieve. The only thing that he ate from outside of North Korea, because most of his food he only trusted North Korea, um, despite them not having a whole lot of food, was French wine. The only thing he would indulge in was French wine. He had 17 palaces that he lived in. One was a resort. You mentioned already they would make these slopes for them to ski down. One was a uh, little 
house on the beach, very pretty, but they were all covered in huge acres of barbed wire, and there were like you know places where they could take direct hits from bombs and all kinds of stuff. So they and nuclear, exactly nuclear weapons. So they had a bunker, <laughs> kits it out with everything. Apparently, Kim Jong Il had four billion dollars in. Luxembourg banks in case he was ever forced to flee North Korea so that he wouldn't have to run out of money. And that country was bankrupt, bankrupt, yeah. bankrupt. It was it's so nothing. sad. When he took over in 94, that was the worst famine in mm. North Korea over those four years. When he died, during his death, apparently a fierce snowstorm stopped, took a pause, and the sky glowed red, and the ice on a big lake cracked. And it shook the heavens and the earth. I mean, sounds quite dramatic. Probably yeah, it, nothing happened. But it, that makes sense because he, he decided to move the weather around a little bit. But what was interesting is he got a little bit frustrated where he, he kept tripping over his, his young son's bottle of whiskeys. His empty bottle of whiskeys lying around in the palaces. So that's why he died of a heart attack and, and full of rage because of these bottles of whiskey that were lying around. What about the youngest one? He had his own Mercedes when he was seven years old. Kim Jong-un. Yes. Kim seven Jong-un. years old. Seven years old. Fujimoto, he was actually the chef of uh, Kim Jong-il. Uh, yes. And later he was given the task of playing with Kim Jong-un. Yes. How did that go? Well, in the beginning he said it was very stressful. He said when you looked in those eyes, you knew that this guy was as nutty as the rest of the family. But nonetheless, he played with him and he was his minder and he would travel all over the world actually to get him because he had a very, very, very particular taste. Yves Saint Laurent cigarettes mm. at the age of 14. Okay. Um, best whiskey you could find. I mean, it wasn't readily available down at the shop, so he had sure. to go and fly and get it. But he had to sit next to him while this young seven-year-old drove the Mercedes. It was the worst experience you could ever imagine. <laughs> but he had a hell of a car collection, right? He had a massive car collection. He still has. Yeah. That's and he's also he's inherited all those palaces and all that money as well. What he's done a little bit different is he's put train stations underneath that joins all the different palaces, tunnels and train stations. So he's, he's connected. So he's really spending the public money yeah, well. Wonderfully. It's yeah, great. But what he has done, he's built Pingyang up. There's a certain street that's now got all these boutique stores oh. and massive apartment buildings. So he's invested. He's actually invested quite a bit hmm. in 2013 onwards. But it's for the elite rich. Because the people are still struggling. I mean, it's the same, the same sure. old, same old. Have you ever seen those medals that those generals have? Sometimes the medals go all the way onto the, the jacket and then they have to go onto the pant legs as well. Because they run out of space for all of their medals. Of all the medals. And yeah. what were the medals for? Yeah. Well, small <laughs> Maybe skirmishes. killing the uncle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what he tried to do with his uncle? His uncle was seemingly making moves to have him ousted. And he found out about it. And he ordered his uncle killed. But not just killed. He ordered him blown up by a rocket. A rocket-propelled grenade was fired at him at close quarters. I, I, I did read that. It's point-blank range. I mean, it, he no. couldn't miss. It's just horrendous. Lots of human rights abuses continue. And obviously, they've made that movie, The Dictator, which didn't go down very well. It was almost caused a diplomatic incident. Mm. Um, North Korea is known to have tried to hack into various places, including Sony Pictures in Los Angeles, which they did successfully and embarrassed a whole lot of actors and movie directors and all the rest. But that's not even the end of these people. He's now best friends with Donald Trump. But he's got nuclear weapons 
he's got a strategy. He's actually got good, better, best. In other words, you can take out a city, then you can take out a town, then you can take out a small village, then you hmm. can take out a building, then you can take out a, one or two people. So he's taken it to a complete new level. And then he just pops, shoots them off every now and then on Independence, Independence Day. American Independence Day shoots it into the Japanese sea. A nuclear weapon. Another, yeah. And then there's a diplomatic incident. Exactly. But they do say that he hasn't got the capabilities to actually launch these missiles. While the missiles may be nuclear and they may be able to do huge damage, the actual transportation device is no good. So they keep firing them up and then they come fizzling down. Which is good for Astana. I think so. For good for everyone. He's unhinged. Yeah. You know, he could just wake up one day after a couple of bottles of whiskey and say, well, I want to blow up Seattle. And he probably, if he had the capabilities, might press that button. Yeah. But he's friends with Donald. So. Yeah. And, you know, Donald's very level-headed. So yeah, he's <laughs> we're not, all safe. He's not capricious at all. Exactly. <laughs> the Kims, uh, a very fascinating family. And we hope that uh, somewhere in the not-too-distant future, they're also consigned to the annals of history rather than the present. Thanks for listening to the award-winning Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. 